Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dr. MC's Self-Care Cabaret Podcast. I'm Teresa Molito-Connors, a doctoral-level educational administrator and mental health practitioner focused on helping you, our world's helpers. Over the summer, I had the pleasure of conducting a series of Instagram live conversations with various experts, and they were too good not to share with my podcast listeners. But before we dive into today's episode, let's chat a bit. How are you feeling? Yes, you. I want to know how you are feeling. Just take a moment and try to check in with yourself. Maybe adjust yourself so you can feel your feet firmly pressed on the ground, your body supported by the chair that you're sitting on or if you're lying down. And just ask yourself, how am I feeling? We tend to run around from activity to activity, meeting to meeting, thing to thing, and not take a moment to check in with ourselves, which leaves us rather disconnected from our physical body. So a really great and easy self-care practice is to just get into the habit of asking yourself how you are feeling. And then once you've identified how you're feeling, if there's anything that your body needs, do you take the time to get that for yourself? So perhaps you're noticing that you are really tired or maybe you're hungry or thirsty or need to use the bathroom. Whatever it is, give yourself permission to honor that feeling and to take care of whatever it is that you need. So anyway, first up is my chat with Dr. Alexis Connison. You may know her as at the anti-diet plan. Dr. Connison is a clinical psychologist and the author of the diet-free revolution. And wow, if you follow her Instagram account, you know her content is fabulous. We chatted about the risks of bariatric surgery, the connection between grief and one's relationship to food, saying F off to diet culture, mindfulness, healing from an eating disorder, self-care, and more. Enjoy our conversation. Good morning, Dr. MC here, hope all is well. I am thrilled to go live again this morning to talk to Dr. Alexis Connison. She should be joining us momentarily. And today, we're gonna talk a lot about um, her research and her work in her book, The Diet-Free Revolution. And I am wearing my F Diet Culture shirt, (laughs) which is pretty exciting. Just waiting to see Dr. Connison jump on and then we can let her kind of let her in. Always kind of takes a minute. So yeah, so we got a lot of lot of ground to cover. I got my my questions here. And um, these lives are kind of fun. Um, it's connecting with people, talking to people beyond just what you see on their Facebook profile. And I've been following Dr. Connison for a long time. She has a lot of um, really fabulous content and I love I love her merch. If you haven't, um, F Diet Culture. She's got these awesome, um, and here she is joining. Good morning. Hi. Thank you so much for your time this morning. I know um, we were going back and forth about questions and stuff like that. So um, I'm excited to chat with you. So yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah. First things first, you know, how would you describe the work that you do to folks that maybe aren't as familiar with um, your work? Sure. So I'm a 
a clinical psychologist and a um, eating disorder specialist. So I'd say a lot of the work that I do is one-on-one -on -one with folks um, or sometimes in groups trying to help people really heal their relationship with food and develop a more peaceful relationship with their body. And in that process, I think it's also about rediscovering a sense of joy, both in eating and our bodies and with our lives overall. So I do a lot of work with mindfulness and mindful eating. I think that's been a really um, powerful tool that I found to help people. And, you know, I, I always say like one of the reasons that mindfulness is so popular and used in so many different programs is it's not only about helping people like alleviate symptoms, but it's really changing the way that you relate to yourself and the world around you. So that's what I love doing. Yeah. Awesome. Any other books in the works? Just curious. <laughs> not, that you, I did, not that you need to. I was just, I know. just <laughs> no, You know what? Writing a book is a lot yeah. of work. So I was really burnt out when I finished, um, finished writing this book and it took me away from my family, my kids for quite a while. So I said, I, I think I'm going to pause for that for a while, though I have been toying with the idea of writing a kid's book with my, my daughter was really into that idea. Oh, doing it together, so. That would be fun. No, I have I haven't, I haven't launched a, a solo book yet myself. I've done like my dissertation, which that I'm still feel burnt out from that. And that was like, uh, 2019. So yeah. I can totally, totally appreciate yeah. that. But awesome. So a lot of your work too, and, and research that you've done, um, has been kind of around bariatric mm -hmm. surgery. And so I know that that, you know, that comes up a lot and it gets recommended to folks. And I'm not sure that, you know, folks really understand, um, kind of the reality of that. So can you talk a little bit kind of about that and what you saw in your research and your work in that field and kind of how that really impacts well-being? Yeah. So my research on bariatric surgery actually started as my dissertation work. So going back a little bit. Um, and we were looking at, um, we were looking at substance use in people who undergo bariatric surgery. Mm -hmm. So, you know, initially it was kind of looking at it from this idea of, of symptom substitution. Of course, this was, you know, 10 plus years ago. So I was kind of coming into it with the idea that people, you know, that everyone getting bariatric surgery had issues around food, which isn't necessarily the case, obviously, we know now, um, or, or I know now. Um, but, you know, that was kind of the framework behind it. And what we found is it actually ended up being one of the first studies to document an increased risk of alcohol abuse um, in people who undergo bariatric surgery. And that's now been shown across many different studies. Mm. And a pretty well documented risk, but at the time we didn't, you know, people were not aware of it. So it, it was pretty cool to be on like the cusp of that new research. Um, and then I also published a research study um, along with Lisa Dubrul about um, about suicide after bariatric surgery, which is another risk that I think people don't really talk about enough. You know, I think that so often when we talk about bariatric surgery in kind of the, especially in the mainstream dialogues away from kind of the haze spaces online, people are talking about it as, you know, this like magic bullet um, that's going to solve all people's health problems and people are going to lose a ton of weight and they're going to feel so much better and they're psychologically going to be doing better. So people really think of the surgery oftentimes as a cure-all and there's a lot of risks that are downplayed um, and that many people don't know about. Yeah. I'm nervous now too. They seem to be recommending it more for children than teenagers. And I'm like, oh gosh. I mean, I, I certainly don't know as much as you know about it, but I, I've, I've had, I know people that have done it and I've kind of watched some of that aftermath and just the, the little bit that I do know about it and which is, you know, more than probably most, but still, um, you know, just not, 
not good. And that a lot of the, what they tell you about it is actually not accurate and not, not true. There's a lot of hidden information and kind of skewed data on it. Yeah, I would agree. You know, with the um, American Academy of Pediatrics more recent guidelines, you know, that are now recommending bariatric surgery and the weight loss medications for kids and teens, it's pretty scary. And I think that there's not a lot known about the long-term health implications, especially of, you know, giving, having teens undergo the surgery during like key developmental periods of growth. Right. Um, and often where people are getting their information about the risks of surgeries from the surgery center. So there's obviously investment by the surgeons who, you know, I, I think they authentically believe in the surgery. I don't think they're intentionally doing sure. something that's harmful to, to people. Um, and a lot of the data on the risks of surgery are kind of kept by the bariatric surgery organization. So, you know, if you look at, for example, like the risk of death after surgery, I think you only have to report some, you know, incidents that happens within the first it's either like one, one to three months after surgery, which is most people who have serious complications from surgery are not necessarily dying on the operating table, but you know they're developing you know medical issues that you know over the course of you know several months to a year ultimately you know cause a lot of issues, um, including death. So that's just all not captured in the data. I think it's really the risks are so underestimated. That that's another project that I really would love to take on when I have time. Is to dig into that a little bit more because I think that um, kind of the party line of what the surgery centers tell clients um, is really not the full story, not even the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Yeah, that's my understanding as well. Yeah. When you have time, if you could tackle that for us, we'd appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, my yeah. It's on my to-do list. Yeah. <laughs> Sure. So many things on our to-do list these days. Um, we had also, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit kind of about the, the concept of, of body grief and kind of losing that. Um, I think you put it beautifully when we were emailing the, the kind of fantasized about ideal body and kind of what that kind of does and kind of relationship to food and just life and what your kind of thoughts are on that. Yeah. So I think that, you know, when we look at dieting and kind of people who are invested in diet culture, what the process is like when people start healing their relationship with food, it's not so easy to just step away from the dieting framework. And, you know, in addition to being told, you know, for so much of our lives that like, this is the thing that's going to help, you know, there's a safety in that. There's often something that's invested, you know, we're invested in diet culture, many of us, you know, it takes a lot of work to really free ourselves from something that's been so ingrained in us and our culture for most of our lives. So, you know, part of that ingrainment, I think, is the idea that if we just do X, Y, and Z, like everything will be okay. If we just eat these foods, follow this plan, if we can be disciplined enough, if we can, you know, just kind of get the motivation to stick with things, then, you know, we'll We'll get all the things we want in life. We'll be healthier. We'll be happier. We'll be more successful. Um, you know, it's it's like everything gets tied up in this bundle. And I think that one of the things as we start to move away from diet culture is, you know, can involve a mourning process of accepting that those things that we've been promised that it's all an illusion. That you know that that you know, there's not some, you know, path, like easy path to follow to get everything we want in life. And that can be really hard to process, you know, because I think that really moving away from dieting is also letting go of, of that fantasy that, you know, we're just, you know, right around the corner from this better life. Yeah. 
No, 100%. And that was so real in my eating disorder recovery journey as well. You know, I first, I, I kind of had hit my rock bottom and had realized how spiraled out of control things had gotten and was trying to get myself to an eating disorder dietitian. I don't know if you're familiar with Anna Sweeney, but I was blessed and privileged to work with her here in the greater Boston area. And, um, you know, it, it really felt like, well, first, like my whole world shattered, like everything I thought I knew had kind of shattered as I was now being, you know, introduced to concepts like intuitive eating and mindful eating and joyful movement and, you know, really getting to the root of my own internalized fat phobia and stuff like that. And as I started the healing journey, the weight came on with a vengeance, like really fast. And to me, at the time, I felt like my body was failing me. Now, looking back, I realized my body was actually trying to save me. Um, and I very much appreciate that. But even just, you know, thinking back and, and, and looking at kind of all of that and going through that process of, of feeling like my body was failing was just so like, rock, like rocked me to my core. And then kind of being now a little bit on the other side of that, it's like, no, I am so much happier healthier in a larger body. I mean, my body is the largest it's ever been at this moment in time. And, but I feel like so much better. I'm not like constantly obsessing over food and, and about my body. And, you know, it took a while to get to that point to, to, to kind of go through a grieving process. I didn't even realize that's, that's what it was. And even every now and again, a little, like a little thing will pop up and be like, hmm? do you want like that, that, that diet culture voice? And I, you know, I quickly slap it away, thankfully. Um, but I had, had a recent situation and it's pretty common, you know, I'm in, I'm in a wedding, I'm in a friend's wedding coming up in a couple of months as a bridesmaid. Very exciting. Um, but I'm like, oh no, the bridesmaid's dress, right? Well, luckily she was allowing all the girls to wear black dresses so I could pick up my own black dress. Well, the first one I found, I loved it but it didn't really, it didn't really fit. And I was like, well, hmm, what can we do to this? Could I lose? Do I want to lose? Like I, I felt those like little things like percolating and I felt bad about myself at first. Cause I'm like, well, here it is. Like, ugh, I'm too fat for this dress. And then fi like within seconds though, I was like, no, this dress doesn't fit me. There's nothing wrong with me. And like, I was able to just like shift it. Whereas, you know, several years ago, that would have sent me into such a downward spiral. I would have done all sorts of terrible things to try to shrink my body in a short period of time to try and wear this stupid dress. <laughs> it would have been like a whole thing. So I, I was really proud of myself in that, in that moment for making that shift. Yeah, I think that that's amazing. Sorry, I was just gonna say like, I so often tell my clients and, and say it here on Instagram as well. It's not about, um, you know, it's not about he healing and recovery. It's not about finding this universe where like those thoughts never come up. It's all about what we do with them when they do arise. And I think that's what therapy, you know, is about is, and you know, different ways of healing. It's really about learning different ways to, um, you know, manage those thoughts and to move forward in new ways when they do arise. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I love that story. Yeah, and I just wanted to share that. And the good news is, for anybody listening, and they're like, well, what is she going to wear? I had a second dress that was like a little, little too conservative. Cute, though. But then I did find a third one that, within a very reasonable price point, that looks banging, and it, I feel comfortable in it, so we're good. So the hell with that first dress. Yeah, yeah. who needs that? <laughs> so... I'm wondering, you know, what would you say to someone who was, you know, continuing to diet and maybe was like, no, this, this one will work. I got it this time. 
Yeah. Well, and I, again, you know, I think it ties so into what we were just talking about with the grief, because it's really hard to let go of that idea that that next diet that's going to be the answer is just around the corner. Because when we think about it, you know, there's a lot of hope in that, you know, kind of dysfunctional way. So, you know, there's a reason that it's so hard to extricate ourselves from diet culture. And part of that is all of the fantasies and the promises that are wrapped up in dieting. Um, so, you know, I think for folks who, you know, still are feeling like that next diet is just around the bend, I often, you know, kind of encourage people to look back on, on your past experiences with dieting and, you know, has that worked for you? And if, you know, if not, what, what's going to be different about this one. But, you know, sometimes people just need to go through it as well. And, um, you know, I think earlier, you know, earlier in my career, I used to find myself more really caught in a push and pull with clients where I was like, you know, really trying to like make my case of why they shouldn't go on a diet and why, you know, we'd go back and forth. And like, I remember sometimes like people bring in like research studies and I'm bringing in research studies. I'm like, <laughs> whoa, 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 wait, this is not what therapy is supposed to be about. Um, you know, and sometimes people just need to experience it for themselves. And, you know, if people, you know, I always tell, you know, I always tell folks like, if you want to do that, that's fine. And like, I'm still here. So, you know, we can talk through whatever does come up. Um, but yeah, I mean, when we do look at the research on dieting, it's pretty clear, you know, like over 90% of diets will fail. Um, and, and that's a good thing. It's our body. Like you said, it's our body's way of taking care of ourselves. And it means that like we're healthy and that our body is going to try to, you know, is programmed to keep us alive, which like all good stuff. Right. Yeah. No, your body can't tell the difference between shred for the wedding or uh, starving yourself. Like it doesn't know, it doesn't know the difference, and it's gonna do what it needs to do to protect you. And um, for me, to like my last one, my kind of last ditch effort was keto, mm -hmm. and that was kind of like the the light bulb went off in my head where I'm like, okay. I'm like frying cheese, eating bacon like it's my job and putting butter in my coffee. Like, I feel like we're something, something is then like afraid of, but get afraid of bread. Like this is not working and this is not, I need help. Like that was really the kind of the, one of the last straws where it was like, okay. And things weren't working. My body was, was really fighting back. I had done so much restricting and, and, and whatever. And then it just got to a point where it was, it just, no matter what I did, and I kept tightening the screws and tightening the screws and trying to find the next thing to kind of keep going. And it was just like, no, you're like, we must be starving here. We got to go in an all out attack to, to save ourselves. And, and the weight came on like rather uh, vengefully. Yeah. yeah. And I think that it can be, you know, really powerful to shift our perspective on that. And rather than, you know, constantly working, like fighting against our body and trying to tighten the screws, like you said, to just lean into what our body is trying to tell us and what our body is trying to do, because I really do believe that our bodies are so wise and um, there's so much fear that has evolved over you know, the many decades for, for most of us who, you know, where we've been on and off different diets and really taught from such young ages to mistrust our bodies, it's hard to then shift and say, well, I'm actually just going to listen to my body and I'm going to see like where my body wants to guide me and what my body wants to do. But it's like, it makes so much sense once we do it. And it really does feel so much better, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, friends. 
Exciting news. On November 11th, 2023, the Dr. MC self-care cabaret shop opens with limited edition swag. My podcast listeners are the first to hear this news. So get your shopping done early by visiting drmcselfcare.com slash shop on November 11th. We've got a fantastic range of self-care and body love merchandise just waiting for you. From cozy sweatshirts and stylish tees to empowering accessories, perfect for showing off your confidence and self-love. Did you hear the news about our exciting new offering from the Self-Care Cabaret? We're calling it Talkback. If you're familiar with the theater space, you may have participated in a talkback before. After a performance, the cast and crew will come back on stage to chat with the audience and answer questions. Think of it as a casual, guided discussion. Inspired by this and by popular interest, we've come up with a talkback for the Self-Care Cabaret podcast. Groups will listen to a podcast episode or two of their choosing. Then I'll come and lead your discussion, either in person or virtually, of those episodes, expanding on the big ideas. It's a great option for groups looking for short, impactful professional development or smaller teams looking to get an introduction to self-care and well-being. We have done a few of these so far, and let me say, they have been so much fun. So if you're interested in bringing a talk back to your group or organization, email podcast at drmcselfcare.com. And now, on with the show. So if someone was looking to maybe start um, getting into mindful eating and, you know, figuring out what those hunger and fullness cues really mean and how to kind of tap into that, what um, kind of what advice or tips would you give someone kind of getting started with that? Yeah. So for anyone who's interested, I do have a mindful eating um, starter kit, toolkit um, that's on my website that does outline kind of the first few steps of what I think are important for people to know when they're wanting to get started with mindful eating. Um, But I think that we can't really, you know, mindfulness is the foundation of mindful eating. So I think, you know, I do encourage people to start developing a mindfulness practice. Mindfulness for people who aren't familiar is really just the idea of being fully aware and present in the current moment with a sense of, you know, curiosity and non-judgmental observation and acceptance. So when we can start to build kind of a general mindfulness practice, I teach it by just, you know, encouraging people to focus on your breath for a few minutes. It's it's something that we're always doing. We're always breathing, thank God, but, you know, very often we're like not paying attention to it. So just bringing our awareness to something that's already happening and starting to observe it in a new and different way, it starts to build that muscle in your brain that can help us become more present during other experiences like our eating experiences. Um, you know, and then from there, once we're starting to get in the, the habit of being more present um, during specific moments, and I'll say like mindfulness practice does not need to be sitting down, you know, meditating for an hour every day. I encourage people to start with three minutes. I have a three minute um, mindfulness meditation that you can access in that toolkit on my website. Um, you know, it has to be doable. If it's like this big thing that we're putting off or like, oh, I have to meditate, like, no one's ever going to do it. So, you know, three minutes, I think that's doable for most people. We can do that, you know, sit, sit in your car for three minutes before you drive, you know, start driving to work or take an extra three minutes in the bathroom where, you know, hopefully (laughs) you're alone or your kids aren't going to barge in or whatever. So, you know, 
But from there, I do think that we can just, you know, do really simple practices like pausing when before we eat and just checking in with our hunger and fullness and also pausing at other times during the day because mindful eating isn't just about, you know, when we're eating. Um, it's also about being more attuned with our body throughout the day. So, you know, I think oftentimes people, especially people who are struggling with binge eating, focus so much on the binge episodes or how can I, you know, check in with my body before I'm going to eat this thing that I feel like I shouldn't eat. Mm. And that's not at all what mindfulness and mindful eating is about. You know, I think there's a lot of mindful eating that's gotten really co-opted by diet culture, unfortunately. So, you know, mindful eating is not what you're hearing about in like Weight Watchers or Noom. It's really inherently an anti-diet practice because it's just about listening to your body. And we can't listen to our body and honor what our body's telling us if we're also you know, mistrusting our body and saying, you know, oh, my body's wanting this. I shouldn't eat this. I know better, you know, because Weight Watchers told me right. or whatever. So <laughs> yeah, it, it ha you know, it has to be done in a weight inclusive, fat positive, um, anti-diet context, I believe, for mindful eating to really take hold. Um, and part of that is recognizing when we're hungry, when we're not eating, because, you know, I think that is one of the biggest ish issues for a lot of folks is that we're not eating enough, especially, you know, throughout the day. Um, you know, we're, a lot of people are going like long stretches without having much to eat. Mm -hmm. And I think that when we can tune into our body a little bit more, we can start to recognize hunger, not only when we're like absolutely starving, but those quieter signs of hunger that start to emerge more slowly. Yeah. I mean, that was definitely something I had to learn, relearn to listen to um, as I started my healing journey and even recognizing that like there even is a scale and that like, you know, you don't want to get to like 10 on the scale where you're like hangry. We don't want to get, we don't want to get there. But like, so when do you kind of recognize the, or kind of earlier, um, you know, kind of signals in your body that it might be time for, for a little something. I love how you, you know, with mindful eating too, highlight the mindfulness component. And in my work um, is teaching folks how, like the real meaning of self-care and how to really practice in a foundational way that supports you across many domains. Nutrition and hydration is certainly uh, an important domain, but we don't talk about, I talk about it more from a mindful eating perspective and a health at every size approach. And certainly not like dieting is not self-care in any way, shape or form. And um, also, you know, reminding folks that, you know, sometimes those little things, like you said, a three minute meditation, mm -hmm. perfect. And I love that because that's what I'm always telling folks, like, you know, go to the bathroom before you go into a meeting or in your car, stuff like that. Like you, just before you wake up in the morning, before you jump out of bed, take mm -hmm. a minute and just like check in with yourself, scan your body, kind of see what's going on before you dive in. I always start even my workshops by asking folks like, how are you feeling? And sometimes I get these like blank looks. I'm like, no, no, I'm like, I really want to know, like, take a minute, not even a minute, like 10 seconds and just check in with your physical body because we're so disconnected. So running around and doing so many crazy things, but yeah, yeah sim simple things that can go a long way. I love that. Yeah, completely. I mean, <laughs> I think that simple act of like, like the mindful pause, I call it, you know, I think it's so powerful because we're like running on autopilot all the time. You know, every, you know, I think that for most of us, we're just constantly like going, going, going and our body's one place, our mind is somewhere totally different. And there's something that can be really radical about just taking a moment and like, you know, stopping and assessing, you know, what do I need right now? What's going yeah. on? And a lot of really great mindful eating and, and self-care and, and really good well-being mm -hmm. practices can be accessed for free 
in just a minute or two or even seconds mm -hmm. and like they're they're just quick and mm -hmm. so accessible but we don't we don't do them <laughs> which is a whole other conversation mm -hmm. yeah well i always you know i that's part of what i love about you know working with folks in therapy as well and in my coaching programs is like you know, we talk about what are the things, you know, what are the intentions that we want to set? And then what are the obstacles that get in our way? Because I think mm -hmm. that those resistances and those obstacles are just as important as those intentions of what we want to do. Yeah, absolutely. I like that. So yeah, not only are intentions, which is great, but that's really only half of it. What are the mm -hmm. obstacles that you foresee in that as well? And while we're, while we're talking about self-care, you, you talk about it in, in your book as kind of, I think it's, uh, I don't know, chapter mm -hmm. 10 or the principle 10 or whatever. Um, but what are some maybe self-care strategies that you kind of ask your clients or teach your clients or suggest that they work on? Yeah. Uh, so I think that self-care is so unique for each individual. So, you know, in my mind, it really does begin with that process of pausing and checking in with yourself and starting to, um, you know, explore what it is that we truly need in any given moment. So, you know, I, I, I'm not a huge fan of like assigning self-care stuff because like the things that might feel nurturing to me are not necessarily the things right. that are nurturing. So I think it really is that process of just giving yourself the space to even ask and think deeply about what it is that we truly need in this moment. Um, you know, and I say to think deeply because I think oftentimes there are kind of surface level things that will come up that, you know, like, oh, I should, the shoulds, right? Mm. Like the self-care, oh, I should exercise. We don't like that. shoulds yeah. in the self-care cabaret. <laughs> right, exactly. So, you know, but, but beyond the shoulds, what are the things that like authentically feel, you know, deeply nurturing for you? And then how to invite those things into your life? Yeah, absolutely. No, it is 100%, you know, individualized, which I think is the coolest part. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people will ask me all the time and, and in my workshops, like, well, what's, what's your self-care routine look like? It's like, yeah, sure. Like, I'll tell you, mm -hmm. but like, just please know that this is one of probably mm -hmm. a billion different mm -hmm. options and things you can do for yourself. And then what I like to do, and, and I've had it described like this, and it's, it's kind of on theme is, is my workshops are like a self-care buffet. So I'll show you, tell you like all the things you can do and kind of present this huge kind of, um, you know, broad option and, and lots of, um, you know, things to choose from, but then you get to decide, you get to pick and choose just like a buffet. So I kind of like the self-care buffet. <laughs> yeah. I, I love thinking about it that way. Um, you know, or a menu, cause I think that, you know, it's also very so much day to day. Cause sometimes, you know, that thing that feels really nurturing on Monday, it's just the thing that you want to avoid if you're caring for yourself on Tuesday, just because you're in a different place. Like we're, you know, that's, that's, that's the thing is like, we're always, we're changing so much, you know, all the time, day, even day to day. So I really do think that um, the mindfulness piece is really important to just, you know, help connect with the present moment um, and not make assumptions about what we even need at, at any time. Yeah. Do you have a favorite mindfulness practice that you do yourself? I mean, I really am a fan of just the very basic mindfulness of breath practices of just, you know, sitting and focusing on our breath for a few moments. I always think it's amazing that our bodies are breathing and like keeping us alive, mm -hmm. even though we're totally not thinking about it most of the time. And it's kind of cool just to like stop and pay attention. But I also, um, another favorite mindfulness practice that I love, especially for people who are new to mindfulness, who might be saying, I don't have time to stop you know, start, you know, sit down and meditate or, or, or I just don't want to. I think people have a lot of resistances and, and a lot of misconceptions about what mindfulness is. Like a lot of people 
they they can't meditate or they've tried before and, and they're not good at it because we think that mindfulness is about this complete state of Zen where we're like clearing our mind and not having any thoughts come up, which is totally the opposite. Mindfulness is just about observing the mind and starting to notice what's there. So we always have thoughts coming up. It doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. But one practice I like is uh, like a mindful hand washing practice because, you know, we all are washing our hands, you know, after, you know, whatever, a few times a day, hopefully. Um, and there's actually so much sensations that are going on while we're washing our hands. So usually we're like washing our hands and kind of already thinking about like the next thing we're going to do. We're totally not aware of it. But if we can stop and just like actually bring our full awareness to the sensations of, you know, the warm water running over our hands, mm. the sensation of the soap, uh, the sounds of the running water, um, it can actually just be a moment to stop and connect and be present um, that's already like built into our day. So I like encouraging people to just, you know, to, to try that as an experiment. What's it like to really pay attention to washing your hands um, and then and see how that kind of presence can expand into other areas of your life as well. Yeah, that's a beautiful one. I love that. One of my favorite ones to share is just was um, called the rainbow connection, where you can kind of just look around the room that you're in and see if you can find something of every color of the rainbow mm -hmm. that's around you. Or even better, get outside, do it outside, call it a rainbow walk, call it whatever you want, but mm -hmm. walk around, really see the beauty that is around you and see if you can spot something of every mm -hmm. color of the rainbow. See, like they're simple, they're free, they're quick, washing your hands, everybody, wa hopefully everybody washes <laughs> their hands yeah. at least once a day at some point. So, I mean, the, there it is right there. Make that your mindfulness practice. Yeah. Awesome. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. And, and one last question, since it's the sun is shining and it's summertime, what's your favorite summertime meal? My favorite? Summertime meal. Mm, that's a tough one because there's so many, but I, I, I'm going to have to go with, we're not quite there yet. I'm in New York. We're, we're still heading towards tomato season, but I'm going to say those perfect summer tomatoes just can't be beat. And I love a tomato sandwich, sourdough bread, good amount of mayo, some fresh tomatoes, a little sea salt. Nice. That's like heaven. any cheese. Any, do you make like a caprese sandwich or just like just the tomato? I, I go just tomato. I mean, you could nice. put you could put cheese on there, but it might. I'm all Italian. I want to add cheese. Yeah, yeah, anything, no, I, guess. Well, I mean, I'm, a fan. I'll, I'm not gonna argue with putting cheese, but it will, um, you know, dilute the taste of the tomato. Yeah, sure. <laughs> For those There's perfect. another recipe that I want to try. It's a, one of these uh, TikTok chefs that I follow is Italian gentleman. I'm blanking on his name at the moment, but he does this one with a beefsteak tomato and like almost fries it a little bit, but very little, like a little bit of breadcrumbs. And like we did, my husband and I tried it once and it, we did, we were impatient with the frying process. So I'm like dying to try it again this summer because it just seems like a great, um, great summer sandwich but yeah they're great you anyway. have to have the right tomatoes you have to wait there's like a few yeah. where they're just perfect and that's when you make that sandwich yeah <laughs> find the right tomato that's a that's a good theme <laughs> anyway thank you so much for for chatting with me and jumping on live with me i really appreciate it um and i know you know folks are looking to follow me at dr mc self-care or um you know they probably they know where you are if you want to say your instagram handle yeah, so I'm um, at the Anti-Diet Plan, if you're looking to follow me. And then I have um, some free resources on my website, theantidietplan.com. Um, if you're in the New York area, I also have a group therapy practice, um, Coniston Psychological Services. That's our website. Um, yeah, awesome. that, that's where you can find me. <laughs> I love New York. 
what what area in New York? Yeah, we're we're in Manhattan. So awesome. All right. Next time I'm I'm visiting Broadway, I'll come look you up. And everybody should buy an F Diet Culture shirt or a beach towel or any of the really cool stuff. Yeah, you can get all the merch um if you go to the view my shop on the Instagram profile. And you do have um, larger sizes, which I very much appreciate. That, was, uh, <laughs> that would have been kind of very disappointing if you yeah. did. <laughs> yeah, we got some feedback too. We have a larger size in the beach towel, and now they're both the same, like the same price. So, okay, um, cool. I was wondering about the beach towel because I do prefer a, a larger towel. Yeah, we have like what's considered, I guess, like a more standard size, and then a larger size. Thanks so much for listening to this special podcast episode from our summer Instagram live series. I hope you're feeling more energized and empowered. We regularly go live on Instagram to chat with other experts and amplify voices. So be sure to follow along at Dr. MC self care. That's D R M C self care. Also, in case you missed it, we've been hosting virtual pop up 30 minute dance parties called Dance Break with Dr. MC, Joyful Movement for All Bodies. A participant described these classes as the best kept secret in fitness. So what are you waiting for? They happen at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, all low-impact movement but high in fun. All bodies and abilities are welcome. There is a warm-up and a cool-down. Modifications are provided, and it is free to join. Donations are accepted. So head on over to my Instagram bio to register or check out the link in the episode notes. Thanks again. Stay well and do good.